<laughs> Welcome to the commentary for section 10 and 11 of uh, Hidden Things, um, better known as the bit where gluing becomes ungluing, where he kind of goes all gross, more gross than usual. I'm your host, Ois Testerman, and we're here to talk about the hidden things and hidden things, part 10 and 11. People have asked questions about the roles. There seem to be roles in this story that people play. Vicus refers to Gluin as the messenger, and Gluin in turn refers to Vicus, and lots of people refer to Vicus as the guide. Later on, Walker is referred to as the goad. They're sort of capital letter titles, although I do not capitalize them. I did probably, I'm almost positive in the first draft this stuff was capitalized because I, I do love a little A.A. Milne. So I love me some, some Winnie the Pooh, and at some point in time, probably quite a few more words were capitalized. Gluin is an information broker, but he's also the messenger. Um, Vicus is whatever Vicus is, but he's also the guide. Um, there's, there's sort of, it's almost like a play in this part, or there's a, there's a ritual that's going on here. There is a thing that has happened many times before and will probably happen many times again that Calliope has become part of. What her role is is never really named, but there are roles to play. Um, the message has to be delivered. Something has to begin the journey. The guide has to show up to show that person how to get there and to help them and hopefully help them make the right decision. The goad has to goad. He has to impart motion. Although Walker isn't really playing his part anymore, his, his role right now is something else. He has abandoned his job and instead adopted something. He's doing something new, something considerably less healthy, probably. He's off script. And... He gets more and more off script as things, as things go on. Um, as we start to see here, he's starting to do some, well, actually he's sort of on script right now. He's doing some things that are going to keep Calliope sort of determined to move on and to kind of, but at the same time, he's getting ready to go off script. And we see that probably in the next section that's coming up with the things he has Agent Hyde do. The whole laughter thing is based on the idea that, that Gluin finds the idea that, that um, Vicus had something better to do. Hilarious. Gluin's whole laughter thing is a bit like a crack in the dike. He can't really let it begin because once it begins, it tends to go out of control. And if there's any body that's inclined more to an out-of-control avalanche, it's got to be Gluin's. The basic idea here is that for Vicus, there is nothing more important right now than what he's doing. It's something that can save the hidden things. It can save the hidden lands. It can save their kind. It can save Calliope and potentially save josh and it can save everything and everybody there is quite literally nothing more important that could possibly be and everybody knows that uh every well not everybody knows that but everybody in that side of things would understand that and the idea that calliope is so clueless as to say vicus had something better to do is funny the conceptual idea of sitting there and saying what if the guide had something better to do is kind of silly the fact that Vicus let himself be dumped on the roadside and abandoned by the person he's supposed to be guiding. If you picture this, this is funny. He's supposed to be guiding her and keeping her, you know, keeping her on track. And the simple fact that she drove off and left him standing by the road is, from a certain point of view, hilarious. There's also the fact that Gluin believes that Calliope understands what's going on. And really, honestly, there's good, there's good reason to believe that because Calliope, as I've said before, is atypical for the sort of person who gets brought along on these sorts of things. They're usually younger. They're usually a lot more naive. Calliope is, in a lot of ways, as I said before, still stuck at 16. 
in a way, it's still a story about that girl at that age. She doesn't really understand any of this. Part of the reason that the laughter starts to get worse is because Gluen really starts to understand that she doesn't know what's going on, which from Gluen's point of view is also kind of hilarious. Plus, he's picturing Vicus standing on the side of the road. If you don't like Vicus, if you're somebody who doesn't like Vicus, my personal opinion is there's lots of people who don't. That's a very funny thing to imagine, is that guy being left behind by the person he's supposed to be telling with. I am a firm believer that some of the best stuff I've seen in storytelling has happened because the people who were writing that story got forced into it. They deal with unexpected circumstances and as a result decide to do something that they weren't planning on at all and you end up with something great out of it. There's great examples of this in television because you get lots of unexpected stuff that happens there. The old Buffy the Vampire TV show, suddenly Seth Green has to go someplace else and be in a movie. And it's a big movie and it's a big opportunity. So he needs to be written off the show as a regular character immediately and unexpectedly. And his whole story arc that was going to go for another season and a half is just abandoned. So we have something very crazy and dramatic and heartbreaking all jammed into basically one episode. And it's, it may not be the best thing that, that they ever wrote, but it's good. And it's better because it's completely unexpected and you're kind of forced into it. I needed a day to go by here. So I had Gluen push back and not want to do whatever it is that he's going to do, not want to deliver his message back on the previous day. So when we get to this, I had actually already delivered this speech. I had to move it, but then it wasn't enough. What he was actually going to tell him was just go to the hidden lands and the killer will be waiting there, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't enough. I needed there to be another thing I was kind of up against a wall because it needed to be something that was worth sticking us in LA with all this annoyance and flashbacks and stuff for the last day. There had to be a payoff, which basically, since we're dealing with Gluen, means it had to be extra special horrible. I'd already had him kind of come unglued like sort of a rotten garbage bag right in front of everybody, so it had to be worse than that. And the only thing really worse than that is having the person that she loves a lot suddenly show up in the face of this thing that's so incredibly nasty and disgusting. The whole calling was hard. That call didn't come through very clearly the first time they did it. He's been dead longer. And the idea here basically is that it's easier for him to convey, to send a message to her, to speak to her through a living conduit. And Gluen's the messenger. So we come back to that role again. If somebody else had been the messenger, if it had been, if the messenger for some reason had been cast, you know, on the guy running the bowling alley, then that would have happened. Gluen has played this role before, or at least he understands it intrinsically. He is an information monger, and as such, he probably understands how most of this stuff works. He's also, for lots of reasons, somebody that tries not to be easy to find by the people he doesn't want to find them, which is why Walker is looking for him so much, because he actually it isn't, it isn't like he, he's in the Yellow Pages. People that he doesn't want to find him will not be able to find him without some help. South Dakota is, not South Dakota, Iowa is coming. South Dakota, there's a Freudian slip. Um, Iowa is coming. We just saw her agree in the last flashback there to go on a trip back to see her family. Josh doesn't have any family. One of the reasons that he's so gung-ho to meet hers is because if he and Callie stay together, he gets a family. He inherits one, and he, that's all he's ever really wanted, is to have a family back. His parents died. His brother is lost or dead or whatever it is that he thinks is going on with him at this point in time, but it's been years and years and years and years and years since he's seen Mikey because Mikey changed a long time ago. He failed his journey a long time ago. 
This is what Josh is hoping for. He's going to have a family. He's going to go out there and he's going to charm the pants off of Kelly's mom. And he's going to endear himself in some way to Kelly's dad. And it's all going to be wine and song and roses and probably wedding bells. And it's all going to be perfect. Calliope does not have those same kind of illusions or dreams. Does Iowa break them up? That is a hell of a tough question. I think that the trip to Iowa made it impossible for them to ignore some things that they probably weren't ready to deal with correctly. It forced them to be grown up when Callie at least was not ready to be grown up. Now, today, hmm, maybe in two weeks when she's done with her trip, she'll be ready. She'd be the person that is ready to handle that kind of stuff. But at that point in time, she wasn't ready to deal with that. So it put them in a situation where she had to be somebody that she wasn't able to be. And I'm kind of laying that on Callie, I realize as I'm saying that. It's kind of Callie's deal. There isn't a lot of fault to lay on Josh's side of the things at this point in time. And that may be mean, but I love Calliope. She's my main character. And uh, yeah, the fact that those two broke up is essentially her fuck up. The fact that the brand band fell apart is entirely her mistake. I wouldn't say that Iowa caused the breakup, but Iowa definitely, that trip act finally made Josh realize that it wasn't going to get any better. On that happy note, we're going back to Iowa. That's where we're going to start next is heading back to that same benighted place. I have no desire to write the Lord of the Rings, but Iowa is Mordor for Calliope. It's Baradur and the Flaming Eye and Mount Doom all rolled up into her mom and her dad and her sister, basically. So yeah, just as we find out what should be a really happy scene where Calliope agrees to go back to Iowa with Josh and, hey, yeah, well, we're going to do this. Everything is great. We've got a music deal. They want to hear the demo. Let's go home and see my family. This is where everything is going awesome. And that's actually where everything is about ready to fall apart. And echoing forward in time to today where Calliope has just agreed with Vicus to go. Come back here at noon. So we're right back on that path again. And Calliope is thinking about the last time that she went. And here we go. Next time we're back, we're going to get in the Jeep and head out. Chapter eight. We're finally out of yes. chapter seven. Oh my God. The Baton Death March. That is chapter, not that I, I love chapter seven, but it's long, ladies and gentlemen. That is a two and a half hour long read. We're out of chapter seven and chapter eight is coming. Very exciting. See you then. <laughs>